and then he phoned the police and he said look I'm a chocolate criminal you've got to come and arrest me because I'm knowingly eating and funding and financing the problem of, of slavery and child labour and cocoa. All right so in this episode of Uncensored CMO I'm delighted to be talking about Tony's Chocoloni, one of my all-time favourite brands and one that's been in the headlines for its advent calendar. Some would call it a mishap, others would call it a stroke of genius. And it certainly set my LinkedIn feed alight with opinions both for and against the merits of uh, Tony's missing out chocolate on day eight. So I thought it might be time to catch up with the country manager for the UK, the self-entitled Lord Chocolonely Third. I need to ask him why, you know, how that came about. But anyway, I'm delighted on this episode to be joined by none other than Ben Greensmith. Welcome, Ben. Lovely to meet you and thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure. Well, we listen, we must start with the title because I think in the introduction there, Lord Chocolonely Third. W- were numbers one and two already taken? <laughs> no, is the quick answer. So uh, when you join Tony's, everyone get what we call a Tony's title. My official title is Lord Chocolonely Third, but my unofficial title is, is UK and Ireland GM. And you go over to uh, Amsterdam and you meet with um, the design team and Klink who's our, our head of design and brand and actually designed the original wrapper as a favour for the for the TV programme some 15 years ago and uh, he meets you gets a sense uh, a little bit about what you're, you're about and about two weeks later you get a mugshot and a name so yeah oh, one of the one of the girls brilliant. in my team for example Nicola is the Countess of Coco brilliant do you have any discretion i mean can you can you reject no. it or is this this is like a this is like an honors queen's <laughs> honors type yeah thing. I, I, I i yeah it, it, it is it is bequeathed upon <laughs> you so i i don't think you have you have very little say in it but they oh, they're men be, look, they're men to be you know we, we're a serious serious mission but we try to take ourselves not too seriously yeah, and that that very much comes across in in everything you do, of course. So the, interesting, actually, just starting on the design point, is a lot of your design done in house? Then do you or do you use external designers? Because it's a very one of the things I admire about Tony's is just how bold the packaging is. Yeah, it's all done in house. So so yeah, I, I I run the the UK and Ireland business, but then we have all the kind of central support functions that come out of the Netherlands and and our business in Amsterdam, where we've been um, going for fifteen years. So all of the design happens happens from fellow Tonys over in over in the Netherlands and yeah the, the the original packaging which we'll probably come on to talk about was 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 designed by a guy called Klink as as a favor for a TV program and he designed it in in 15 minutes and it was a total opposite of anything else out there and the the, the journalists on the TV program were like yep that will do and that is how it uh, it basically started and it's kind of evolved from that original bright red wrapper that milk chocolate bar but yeah it was not necessarily you wouldn't say it's necessarily deliberate in in, in how it started but yeah. we never we never set out to start a a, a big chocolate company that's brilliant i i love that this i love stories like that because of course you look at it and you assume there was some clever strategy behind it <laughs> and some you know world famous designer that got to you know spent ages crafting the the look and there was lots of thought that went into it i love that you know an opportunistic moment led to a, a fabulous design that's that's been very successful well listen let, 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 if we can let's start back 15 years ago so just talk me through the origin story of Tony's and how it came about. And, and also, why is it called Tony's? I call it the story of an accidental chocolate bar. So I think we'll probably start with problems within cocoa. So you've got to think of the, the cocoa industry as like an hourglass on its side. So on one side, you've got billions of consumers like you and me who love eating chocolate, don't really think about where it comes from. And then on the other side of the hourglass, you've got millions of farmers. And most of those farmers... There's two and a half million farmers that basically in, in West Africa, in two countries, Ghana and the Ivory Coast, and they present they they produce about 60% of the world's cocoa. And then in the middle, this is the pinch point, you've got a handful of massive chocolate companies who control, and there's seven or eight of them who control about 95% of all of the cocoa in the world that's that, that's traded. And this this pinch point, they 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 keep the price of cocoa as low as possible so they can make as much money as possible. And that leads to, to big structural problems. And so today, you know, you, you, you have just over 1.5 million children who are working illegally on cocoa farms in West Africa, with 95% of them doing the worst forms of, 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 of child labor. So, and, and then you've got a minimum of about 30,000 who are effectively held in as, as modern day slaves. 
and and 15 years ago and the numbers are still 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 the same 15 years ago there were there, there was a tv program in the netherlands called curing dienst van vada which means food unwrapped or food uncovered and there were three dutch journalists on this tv program and they were looking at brand claims marketing claims it's slightly tongue-in-cheek mostly around kind of food and drink and one day on a sunday one of the journalists was a chap called Turn van der Kerken. The international translation for Turn is Tony. And he was le- leafing through his paper and, and he came across something on page eight that basically said there was, you know, effectively 1.5 million kids working illegally on cocoa farms in West Africa producing cocoa. And he was like, wow, the, the two things struck him. Firstly, it was, it was like, one, how, you know, it, this, this is, this, Back then, this is 2005, how come this is happening in 2005 and how come I'm not aware of it? And the second thing that struck him was, why is this on page eight? Why is this not front page news? So Tony decided that he was, he, that they were going to do a TV program about it. And uh, that's exactly what they did. And they also found that there was five years prior to this, there was something called the Harkin Engel Protocol, where two senators in, 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 in the US were like, well, okay, there's a handful of these chocolate companies who control the, you know, basically the, the flow of the cocoa and the price paid for the cocoa, then we can solve this because we'll get those companies around a table and we'll get them to agree to eradicate the worst forms of slavery and child labor from their, from their value chains. And that's exactly what Harkin and Engel did. And, and they put a five-year timeline on this. And so there was this agreement in place and, and, and Tony and, and, and the two other journalists were like, right, well, let's see what progress has been made because we, we're coming to the end of that agreement now. And so Tony, as part of this program, tried to speak to all the big chocolate companies. He flew out to Nestle's headquarters in Geneva. No one would talk to him. And if they did talk to him, they were effectively saying, look, it's too complicated. We can't do anything. We're not making any progress. So he he was like, well, that's, I mean, that's that's not, that's not right. That's not good enough, right? You know, this is there's an agreement there. This is this shouldn't be happening. So, Tony then decided to take matters into his own hands, and he he filmed himself eating a load of chocolate from the big chocolate companies, a handful, seven or eight bars, which he was pretty sure there was some form of slave or forced labour in the value chain, and then he phoned the police and he said, "Look, I'm a chocolate criminal. You've got to come and arrest me because I'm knowingly." eating and funding and financing the problem of slavery and child labor and cocoa. As you'd expect, the police hung up on him. Thanks very much. But, but Tony didn't stop there. So he then hired a lawyer to prosecute him, himself for the same crimes. And he, he flew out to West Africa and he found four former child slaves who had worked on cocoa plantations against their will. And he got them to testify against him. And he flew one of them back into into the Netherlands and basically prosecuted himself for being a chocolate criminal. And and the court case went on for two years. It made a big hoo-ha in, in the Netherlands, got lots of coverage, it started to raise awareness of the issue, which is what Tony wanted. But at the end of the trial, the judge said, look, morally you're right, but I can't draw a link between the cocoa that these boys have produced and the cocoa that you've eaten. And secondly, if, if I make an example of you, it's going to set a terrible precedent for everyone else in the Netherlands who, who enjoys eating chocolate. But yeah, you're, you're right. This shouldn't be happening. So Tony didn't go to jail on the back of that court case. But off the back of it, he made a few thousand bars in a, in a bright red wrapper, the design of which was done uh, by a guy called Klink as a favor for the TV program. And it took him about 15 minutes. And it was a bright red wrapper because it was deliberately an alarming color and everything else was blue or purple on the fixture but and as a bit of a PR stunt and those bars sold out in hours and so it was at that stage that the guys took the decision that look if we're and it's called Tony's Chocolate Only that was your other question because Tony was the name of the journalist and then it's the lonely battle to rid the industry of slavery and child labor. So that's where Tony's Chocolate Only comes from. Bit of a mouthful, right? But we would never, we didn't, when he did that, he didn't, we weren't expecting to create this this business and this business model for, 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 for change. But at that stage, we were like, well, actually, if we're serious about changing the industry, the best way of doing it isn't being a charity or an NGO. It is by developing a business model that um, demonstrates that you can be commercially successful and you don't need to exploit 
communities in West Africa. So that is what we've been doing for the last 15 years. We're, we're now the number one chocolate brand in the Netherlands. We overtook um, Milka a couple of years ago. But the whole reason that we exist is because we're not a chocolate company. We're an impact company that makes chocolate. So the chocolate for us is a vehicle for change. The profit, the money that we make, it's never a goal, but it's a means to achieving a goal, which is basically inspiring change within the cocoa industry. So that is the story of how Tony's started, got his name, and also the, the design as well. I think that is one of the most powerful and impressive stories of any founder. That's amazing. Imagine prosecuting yourself. I think that's <laughs> what a move. And, and well, I'm glad he didn't go to jail because obviously he was able to help build the company that you've got today. Is Tony still involved, by the way? Was he one of the because you talked about three journalists originally investigating the story. Are they still involved in the company today? Yeah, I, so, so the three, of the three journalists, actually, it was Maurice, who was the, the, the chap that founded the company and whose idea it was. It was Tony that gave his name to the company because he was the, the better person for, for screen, basically. So, yeah, both, both of them are, are still involved, Maurice more so than Tony. And one of the, one of the questions, because you, you talked about in the trial there, that you know the ability to distinguish between the child labourers and the chocolate you're actually consuming. So how how does Tony's ensure that the chocolate you know the chocolate that I consume here in the UK has actually legit been free of slave labour? Well, we'll we'll come on to that. So because we so we have our five sourcing principles, which we've developed over the last fifteen. 15 years and it starts if you think the root cause of the problems in, in West Africa uh, are poverty it starts with paying a fair price and the the, the way to, so if you look at the back of a, a pack of Tony's you'll see that we've got the fair trade logo on there so the way that works is there's a farm gate price which is set by the government Tony's then pay the fair trade premium of about $240 a ton but then we work backwards from a living income so we work with the farmers to ensure that they can earn a living income and we then pay a further premium on top of the fair trade premium that goes direct to the co-ops that we work with and that enables the farmers to earn a living income and effectively get out of poverty and that's the first thing right price is the is the key fertilizer the second area is a fully traceable supply chain so we all of our cocoa can be tracked and traced we know the farms and and, and the conditions under which it's grown and that's really, really important because most cocoa in the world is comes from its its trade. It's something called mass balance. So it comes from a big faceless pile, and the companies go and they just pick from that pile. And effectively, what that enables them to do is is basically hide behind that pile and ignore what's happening further down the value chain. And we don't think that's good enough. If you if you buy a bar of Tony's, we want you to know that we know where that cocoa has come from and the conditions under which the cocoa has been grown. So that's the second area. The, the, the third area is strong farmers. We only work with co-ops because those co-ops are stronger if they're together. They have more buying power. They have more clout. They can share learnings and practices. The fourth area is we have long-term agreements with those farmers. So any cooperative that we work with is guaranteed that they will get a fair price for the cocoa for five years and they can come and go freely. No one's ever left. And then the, the final area is we work with them to improve their yield productivity, but also decrease their dependency on, on cocoa. Now, only by doing those five things can we enable those farmers to earn a living income. What's really important as well is that we actively look for problems in the value chain. So we have never found an instance of slavery on any of the, the partner cooperatives that we work with, but that's not to say that we, we couldn't or we wouldn't but you have to actively look for them, which is why we still find instances of child labor that we're not happy with. And obviously, as we grow, we expect to find find more. But it's important that we do actually find those and we encourage people to come forward because only if you go looking for them uh, and you face into the problem, can you solve them. So we don't we would never claim to be 100 percent slave free. What we want to aspire to is 100 percent slave free to be the norm within Coco. And what we push other companies to do is effectively say, we have an open chain policy. So we say, look, this is how we do it. These are our five sourcing principles. We will help anyone out there, big, small, to adopt those five sourcing principles. And we will work with them because only by doing those five things can 
we get to a place where the world of cocoa is much fairer. You can't just pick and choose yeah. or ignore the price issue or not have a traceable supply chain. So it's really complicated, but that's in a nutshell how, yeah. how we work and what we do. Oh, I think it's fascinating because as I was doing some research on it, of course, I came across the, the story about losing, was it the slave-free the slave chocolate claim? Is that right? There was, there was I can't remember who it was now. Slave-free yeah. Yeah, that's right. Slavery organization, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, I thought it was fascinating your response, because I think from the from the article, it says you'd found 387 cases of illegal child labor and 221 of which had been remediated, which is obviously good. But I thought it was fascinating your response to it, because actually you said you choose to work in the areas where, you know, it's the biggest issue so you can make the biggest difference. So I thought that was credible. And then the second thing is, you know, you know, you were very happy to admit that, you know, you'd found it, but you only found it because you were looking. And of course, you know, you know, big organizations would just be turning a blind eye and not confronting it. So I thought that was very admirable to, to be quite so open about that and, and say that you're actively working towards it. Yeah, we transparency is key for us. We publish everything we do each and every year. You go on our website, you download the annual fair report. You've got everything there from our balance sheet to our P&Ls. The good stuff, the bad stuff, but 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 that transparency is key. It's always been integral mm. to what, what what we do. Actually, on on that list, the reason that we were dropped from that list, it was not um, because of any instances of of finding or looking for and remediating child labour within the partner co-ops that we work with. It's because we work with Barry Calabau, and again, right. it, that is very deliberate. Now, Barry Calabau can come under criticism for the fact you know that they are part of the problem but for us they're also part of the solution we we work with Calabar and we have done since 2005 because they basically are one of the biggest processes of uh, cocoa in the world and for us if you think back to, to what I was talking about our business model has to be copyable and scalable because we want we want to set the direction and set the pace to say, look, this is how you do it. And if, if we just do it on our own or in a niche way, those big chocolate companies will look at us and go, well, I can't copy that. It's, you know, it's not scalable. It's, it's not copyable. So that was the reason we, we came off the list. So, yeah, it was uh, it was more to do with that. But, I mean, it's, it, it's a list, right? It's a list. There's lots of lists out there. So, it, the, the, it, it, it isn't third party accredited. The, the slightly frustrating thing is I, I don't quite know how that got picked up by the press, but it, but it did. In a way, I, I, it doesn't really matter because it's just more co coverage for the problem and the issue mm. awareness, which is the most important thing. And if people then well, start talking about the fact that there's slavery and child labor in West Africa, then damn, that's a good thing. That's it. That's it. Well, we'll come on to, of course, when we talk about the advent calendar later about the, the, the benefits of getting everyone talking about it, of course, which is brilliant. It's interesting. I, I remember, I, I think I first discovered Tony's quite a few years ago, actually, in Holland and was, was just uh, blown away by the, you know, how available, the, you know, it was everywhere. And I remember coming back to UK, I was between jobs at the time, going to a food and drink expert Excel. And I think you, you must have just been entering the UK market because there's a, li there's a little pop up. At, at the expo and I remember just having some fun because I went around every single chocolate stand and asked them are you slave free I just wanted to check before I try some that's <laughs> brilliant and I, I what I loved about you know from a marketing point of view of course is you, you know you, you're trying to do the right thing and that's brilliant and you know open source policy transparency trying to change a whole industry is it is, is impressive and great but I just think as a challenger brand as well it's a wonderful position because you suddenly you know you you turn you know, you turn the tables on all your competitors and kind of shine the light on them and position yourself as, as different, which I think is brilliant. And the other thing I noticed as well, reading in your financial statements, I think you actually draw out, don't you, the, you called it impact and it, you know, an impact company that happens to make chocolate and something like 8 million euros. I think I'm right in saying is it within the PNL. It's only a hundred million euro company, 8 million euros goes on impact. What, what, what is that impact? If you can break it out, is that paying farmers more? Is that what, where does that money go? Is that basically the living wage you're talking about before and so on? Yeah, exactly. It's exactly that. I mean, it, it, it's, it, I think it's probably about 7% of our net revenue goes into back to the beginning of the value chain. And that is a combination. So that's either our it's Tony's premium that we talked about. So that top up to the yeah. 
to the living income. And is that from the fair trade cost up to a living wage? Is that is that like a difference between it's the balance, basically? Yeah, the balance between the two. Yeah. yeah. So what's really interesting, and this is, I mean, when the price of cocoa drops, what we do at Tony's is we end up paying more because we want those farmers to to, to earn a living income. So, and we've just seen that price drop by eighteen and a half percent. So all that means is that there's like a, probably a couple of billion coming out of the value chain and it's going into the pockets of the big producers and we that's not right so yeah there's the, you have the tony's premium there you have the the fair trade premium as well we have any project costs for, 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 for that work on the ground in terms of impact there is stuff in there like the, there's the fair trade license fee as well we have a separate foundation which is a charitable arm of of tony's and that's run totally separately and we give 1% of our net revenue to to the Chocolate Only Foundation and that works on projects in cocoa uh, farming communities in where we source in, in Ghana and the Ivory Coast and then I think also in there we have our CO2 compensation as well so you're, you're dead right this year revenues of just over 100 million euros it means there's about 8 million in that in, in that yeah. pot and the thing for us is that the more we grow the more money that basically goes to help those farmers, farmers on the ground, because it just means that we can help more farmers. And I think this year we, we want to work with nine cooperatives and that would mean about 12,000 farmers that we're, we're, yeah. we're, we're effectively helping. But it's still a tiny percentage, right? We, we're, we're, we're 100 million in, in, in revenue it, on a, in a market which is $100 billion. Yeah. So we're probably like still 0.2% of, yeah. of the market. And that's why that open chain element is so important because... Yeah. Because we there's two ways to grow, right? And there's there's work through there's growing Tonys and those Tonys bars, or there's getting people to adopt those sourcing principles. And and I think already we've got five or six now companies and, and, and retailers who have adopted our sourcing principles. And that's great because it just means that hmm. there's more people doing doing the same thing. Do you know what it would cost Nestle, Cadbury, Mondela, etc., to match you in terms of if if they followed your lead? How much would it cost them on their cost of goods, do you think? I know it's a tricky question, but... No, no. How, how big is the premium? Effectively, how big is the premium difference between doing the right thing, what you're doing, and doing what everyone else is doing? What, what's the... Are we talking a factor of two or three? It's, it's effectively, it's, I think it's about 1% of the annual sales of, of chocolate, basically. So you're talking about a billion, probably a billion dollars. So, okay. if, and if you look at the percentage, if you can go through and look at the percentages of the big companies that they're putting towards it, you're talking one to two percent. So actually, you know, the, the, the factor, the difference to get up to six to seven percent is, is fairly big, but we're showing that it's doable, right? You just cut, yeah. your, you cut your cloths slightly differently. These, these are companies that have operating margins in, in the high teens, low 20s. So. Well, that's why I was asking, because actually the way you describe it there, and when I look at your financial statement, if everyone else copied you, it, it, it wouldn't make that big a dent on their corporate profits. And in fact, they could probably absorb it in a, an annual price rise for inflation. That's the bit that I wanted to uncover, because... You know, I, I wondered whether their, their resistance was economic, is that, you know, that, that they've set up a supply chain that's based on economics that wouldn't be replicable at a fair level. But reading your annual report, I, I can't see anything in there that would mean anyone else couldn't copy it. And, and fairly easily with a price increase, I think, if you, you know. It's a choice, right? Uh, and uh, or, yeah. or you just cut your budget slightly differently. You spend a slightly... Slightly less on 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 your marketing yeah. above the line, yeah. and you, and you reduce A and P a bit. Yeah, yeah. And you, you put you put that into the beginning of the value chain. Look, we're not. I'm. I mean, I'm not naive as well. I know, like, it's shareholder value is important. You know, these companies have to have to make money. They have to keep their shareholders happy. But if you think that there's this massive problem at the beginning of the value chain, that's not right. And 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 there is a solution there. But that's why we've got, we have to strike that balance, right, between being as a company kind of antagonistic activist, but also we, we can't piss them off too much because we need everyone in the value chain to cut, start to come with us. So mm. it, it, it is a balance, but you're dead right. It's, it, it is a choice and there's a solution there. Yeah, yeah. No, that's very, very impressive. Well, look, I mean, I mean, we talk about CSR or ESG. I mean, it. We are trying to make capitalism as conscious as possible, aren't we? And, and this, whether it's the environment or other social, you know, social issues, so I, I can't see why a big company wouldn't want to, 
you know, not only do the right thing, but also public, be public about doing the right thing. So have you seen any big competitor respond to you in, 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 or take any steps towards that kind of goal? No, not not in a way that we would like. I mean, what's great is if, if you look at some of the Albert Heine, who are the biggest retailer in the Netherlands, Aldi. Well, they make chocolate. They've got their own labeled chocolate, right? And they've adopted our open chain sourcing principles. Yep. So they, they can, have, are they? Yeah, they yeah. can do it. And you think of the, the, the operating margins of some of the Aldi work yeah. on and they're doing it. So, you know, that's great. And it shows it shows it can be done. But if you think, John, that this 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 problem that we're talking about and that Harkin Engel protocol was signed and agreed 20 years ago, 20 years yeah. ago. And if you look at the timeline over that time, it's empty promise five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Oh, we'll do it in 25 years. It is just kicking the can further and further down the road. There's no change. They've 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 launched their own accreditations, their little stamps on the front of the packs. But effectively, it, it's, it's empty, hollow promises. So it will take, and this, you know, it will take a combination of pressure, market share, maybe a bit of shareholder pressure, legislation from the government, and but also, and this is where we put our efforts, consumer pressure, shopper pressure, you know, we want people to know that there's a problem out there and then you start asking your big companies the questions. And then if your favorite brand, you're not happy with it, then you make a choice, right? You make a choice yeah. at the fixture. And that's, 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 what we, that's what we want to change. Yeah. Well, you've been making the, the moral case. So if you make the business case as well by becoming such a big com- commercial threat that they're forced to take action, I suppose that's the other way of doing it, isn't it? Definitely. And I mean, look, it's delicious, right? I fell in love with Tony's three <laughs> yes, or four years ago. And uh, you know, it, there's no palm oil, there's no plastic. It has a high cocoa content. It only uses natural ingredients, but it tastes bloody delicious. And that, yeah. I think that's the thing that draws you in. So if we can make better tasting chocolate that looks good, tastes good and does good, then yeah. Well, I wanted to come on to that actually because you're absolutely right. So I, I, I first probably bought a bar of Tony's maybe five years ago in Holland. I think I was given it given it by a friend and uh, it's really good. It, 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 it actually reminded me when I was a kid growing up of Yorkie bars because, you know, Yorkie bar was always the, the you know, the, the, the chunky real chocolate kind of taste and uh, you kind of got a lot for your money sort of thing. It really reminded me of that. But the product's fantastic. The other thing that I really, that, that, that I thought was very clever was the uneven shape as well, which I thought, I, I just thought that was genius. I mean, obviously you've got your communication about the slave-free, you know, supply chain on the packaging. But then when you open it up and realise that, that, you know, not all, not all, well, it's not squares, is it? It's not squares of chocolate, of course, which is the, the default in chocolate. It's kind of odd shapes. <laughs> it was absolutely genius. Has it always been like that? Where, where did that idea come from? It, it strikes me as a, yeah. a genius bit of packaging. Well, it, it is. And we, it hasn't always been like that. We, we're always looking at ways to convey our story, right? And if you think to, to, you know, the last 10 minutes and what I was talking about, the fact that the world of cocoa and the world of chocolate is unequal with the big companies taking a massive bit and the farmers at the beginning getting pretty much next to nothing it struck us that you know for 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 centuries we've been making chocolate bars that are perfectly equal and perfectly divided so i think it was back in about 2012 13 we were like well if if you listen to the story and you look at that unequal nature of the the cocoa industry then the best way of communicating that message is through our bars. So that's why our bars are unequally divided because the cocoa industry yeah. is unequal. Now, I like in the Netherlands where we've been going for 15 years, everyone gets it. But I still, we had to change. <laughs> we had to change our copy on the inside of these bars because we haven't typically spent on above the line because we can't really compete with a big budget. So we rely on this bar getting into people's hands, then picking it up, then reading the wrapper, and then looking at the unequal nature of the bar. And then starting to kind of learn about it and maybe go online and, and, and tell their friends about what they've discovered. So that's why our bars are unequally divided. And we've even hidden at the bottom left a little map of West Africa in there with the equator as well. But to this day, I, if you go online and, and you read, say, on, I don't know, some of the some of the reviews on, on, on websites for our retailers, you'll see that it's still a big source of frustration. <laughs> Even though we changed the, the, the pack on the inside, they're like, I can't share this bar. I, it's really frustrating. Yeah. I've got kids and there's massive fights in the house. They're fighting over it. Yeah. And yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, I can well imagine. But it is, we do it for a reason because the bar tells the story and yeah. we've still got to get that message out there. I, I, I mean, 
most people in the Netherlands are aware of the issue. 70%, over 70% awareness of, of slavery and child labor in the Netherlands on cocoa farms in the UK. One of the one of my jobs, my team's job is, is to, to get that issue, issue awareness up. And I think when we started, mm. it was 15%. This year, we just measured it and it's up to 34%. And last year, it was 28%. Oh, that's impressive. So yeah. we're, get, we're yeah. getting there, but we've, we've yeah. still got a long way to go. But that, that bar yeah. is one of the vehicles to to, to changing that awareness. And for everyone listening, uh, Ben was waving a uh, bar of Tony's at the camera very excitedly. I'll do the same back to him, you see. But of course, no one will appreciate that. But listen, so grab yourself a bar of Tony's, open it up. And what you'll find inside is every piece is a different shape, kind of awkwardly different shape as well. So it really dr- dramatically shows that. I love that. I think it's one of the, the most powerful. You, you said it there. You don't have the budget yet. You will do soon, hopefully, to have big above the line spends and, and tell everybody so you've told the story brilliantly through the product itself, which I think is just one of those excellent challenger brand kind of lessons to take, which is brilliant. So well done on that. Um, now, one of the one of the one of one of the things I remember kind of flying back from Holland with a bar of Tony's, in fact, going, "Why the hell is this not in the UK?" <laughs> so surely this is this is the moment. Step forward, Lord Chocolonely the Third. Now is your moment. So tell me, tell me when at what point did did this job come up, and what were you doing, and how did the how did this come about, and what took you so long? I mean, Tony's not you. Uh, given a successful 15 years in the Netherlands. I mean, actually, weirdly, sort of slight sidebar, I launched Robinson's Fruit Shoot in the Netherlands 15 years ago, kids drink, uh, British kids drink. And actually, when I did my research on both the kind of consumer market and the retail market, Holland was by far and away the most similar market to the UK from consumer perceptions, behavior, retail landscape, economics everything and in fact it was it ended up being the most successful market for robinson's fruit shoots overseas outside the uk as well so i spent a few years a few years there doing that so i'm very um, very fond of the market but it's it's interesting actually that the uk would be such a good market for a, a dutch chocolate brand as well that would make the reverse i assume would be true anyway long story but tell me how the opportunity came about so I, I've been in food and drink now for what, 20, 20, 20 odd years, I think I'm 44 or something like that. So I've always started off at kind of Unilever, Big Blue Chip, but then joined Innocent back in, back in the day and was there for about eight years. And then we built the business and sold it on to, to, to kind of Coke. And, and, but the thing that's always interested me has been challenger brands, food and drink. And I think also showing that business can be, can be a force for good. Now, one of my old the guy who used to kind of be country manager at innocent at, at, in the in the netherlands is, is a guy called hank yan who who's the major shareholder and, and basically bought tony's back in about t- over 10 years ago actually and put the commercial strategy and the impact strategy together to, to start to build tony's from what was a tiny million pound i think million euro turnover business 10 years ago to, to what it is today and similar to you, I was on the I was on business at my uh, last company, a company called Proper, where I was COO, and I was in the Netherlands visiting our distributor, going around stores like Marked, Albert Hein, and this is like four, five years ago now, four years ago. Came across Tony's, I knew about Tony's because obviously Henk Jan had 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 gone from 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 Innocent to to, to, to basically set it up but never really kind of seen it in the flesh. And I walked into Albert Heine, I walked into Marked, you know, the equivalent of our kind of like some like Whole Foods, beautiful stores, and just saw this wall of Tony's and it's everywhere, right? I think we've got 99% coverage and... It's impossible to miss. You can't miss it. There's different formats, there's different products. And I just, I fell in love with the packaging. So it's doing a job, right? Because that's, the packaging is there to bring you in and shout from the shelves and it's, it's bright, it's in your face, it's deliberate. Couldn't speak a word of Dutch, picked up five or six bars, brought it home to to my family. I've got a young young boy called Archie who would have been about six or seven then and, and, and my wife. And um, we tried it and I was just like, this stuff's, this stuff's amazing. It's delicious. I love it. I love everything about it. And then I started reading about the mission on the US website where we'd launched a few years, a few years sooner. And I just said, I said to my wife, if ever this comes to the UK, like I have to be a part of it. And if it's not, why is it not? And like someone should do something like this here. Yeah. And then I dropped, dropped a note to Henk Jan and just said, look, mate, if you ever come to the UK, let me know. And he said, well, just so happens 
we, we're planning to like let's meet let's have a beer uh, and we did that and then yeah the 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 rest as they say in a cliched world is 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 is, is history and so that's that's what i've been doing i was yeah i've been doing that since 2018 i was at that show I think in Excel, I think it was a speciality fine foods fair, which was my, yes, that's it. Yeah, it was my yeah. first day as employee number one building the brand, the was distribution. It? Yes, so, oh, I love it. Yeah, uh, yeah, and we yeah, didn't launch till yeah. January 20, 2019. Yeah. so we had about yeah. I had about four, three, three, four, five months to then get start to get my team in place, write the strategy, get out, build it from the ground. Yeah. and oh, it's brilliant. That's so funny, right? Because I I think at that time I was. I think I just left my job at LucasAid and I was going, what do I do? Do I do a startup? And, and I'd flown to the US and, uh, and spent a week in New York just literally scouring all the fine food shops and health food stores what's and next? just trying to uncover what's coming next, you see. And, and as part of that sort of, you know, doing my due diligence on the market, I went to that fair, in fact, actually. And I, I rem- it reminded me having met Tony's in sorry not met Tony's but discovered Tony's in Holland I was like damn it they're coming to the UK this is great news I've ever been very excited so uh, I we, we might have even met I don't know we probably didn't realize it at the time but I was very excited to go yes it's here anyway so well done um actually just another another sidebar a genuinely a really good tip actually for anyone who's thinking about making career moves so basically well done you for emailing Hank and saying look I'm your guy um actually it's so easy to go around the world even virtually and just look at what's happening and find brands that you admire and want to be part of and just reach out to them and say you know how can I help I mean it's a I think people sit and wait for opportunities to drop on their lap but you can go out there and find brands you admire missions you believe in you know opportunities that exist and and pitch yourself so I I love that that's a great thing to have done the 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 thing is as you know someone that as a consumer but also someone, you know, that's been around a bit in food and drink, you just, you see something, and you're like, you know, that's going to resonate. And I think, yeah, like Tony's, we made a decision before my time. It was like, okay, US first, UK second. And actually what, what you said, I think is really true. Like there's building, we've got a really centralized model in the UK. It's very similar to the Dutch model. It tends to be supermarkets controlled, central agreements you know if you if, if, if you like it you have a good story the commercials are right you can get into a few thousand stores yeah. you know yeah. in, in a few weeks time whereas someone like the US is so complicated so big it so is. vast yeah. and yeah. so expensive to, to to build a brand but I, I see exactly the same thing when in my last couple of companies at Innocent and also at Proper trends tend to come to the US they come to the UK then the UK goes to Ireland they work in the UK it will work in Ireland and then next it tends to be the Netherlands and, and the Hollands, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, Germany's well, the other one as well, but it's it's a much yeah. less centralized market. It's much harder yards in Germany, isn't it? Because it's it, it's it's seven or eight regions typically, isn't it? And yeah, store. culturally a bit different as well. Yeah. Whereas Holland, you know, four or five listings gets you sixty, seventy percent, and you're you're up and running very quickly. The same as UK, really. I mean, that, that that's yeah. I think you and I have had similar sort of career backgrounds as well. And once you understand the market how you get product to market, how you manufacture, distribute, et cetera, et cetera. Puts you in a great position, doesn't it? And so that's definitely a top tip for anyone listening that would like a career move, you know, be inspired by Ben's story. Don't, don't, don't sit waiting for it to happen. Go out and find it and uh, make it happen yourself. So listen, so three years, reading your annual report last year, 20 million euro sales in the UK. In fact, it looks like the majority of the company growth is coming from this island, which is pretty impressive. So that's, that's a lot to achieve in three years. Tell me how you did that. How do you go about getting Tony's to where it is today? Well, look, it's not just me. I've built a really strong team, and I think that's the first thing, right? Like recruiting like-minded people that share my share the values of Tony's and want to make the world a better place is the first thing. So I've I've built a really strong, engaged, and committed team, and I've never had such an engaged and committed team as I do at Tony's. And I think when you have something powerful like that mission and you, you, you see what you're trying to do, that really drives people on. I think the second is, obviously it's a great product. It's a great product, it tastes good, it does good. We, we've, we've got a strong case from, from the Netherlands where we've grown to the number one against all odds. You know, this is, this is an industry and a market where you've got legacy heritage brands in there at the, I mean, dominance, one of those words that people don't like to talk about, but you have, you have in the UK, you have a very dominant brand in, in Mondelez or, or Cabris. 
And I think building, you know, a really strong case for a really strong product, there's never been a better time to be uh, doing what, what you're doing and trying to show that there is a different way to, to, to make delicious chocolate. And I think the other thing is that a big part of the strategy has been laser focus on a handful of customers and not spreading ourselves too thinly. And that's really important when you have limited resources, because one thing that been really keen to do in the UK is just focus on that first couple of years on building as strong a case as possible and that enables us to 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 take those learnings and then build on it as we expand in years three four and five and also absolute focus on on on, on visibility so getting that bar into people's hands telling them the story telling them why they should care because we know that we've got a delicious tasting product and if they buy it they love it they'll come back time and time again and that's what yeah. that's what we that's what we've seen so it, it's it's a really great start we'll do hopefully near near a 30 just over 30 million this year but you know we have to i i want us to be a top 5 confectionery brand in the next 5 years because then it's one it's more cocoa being fairly traded going back to, to the farmers who need it in West Africa. But two, it makes it then really hard for those big chocolate companies to, to ignore what we're doing. And so we'll be more in your face and we'll, we'll continue to, to grow. But we're kind of just on that, on those first couple of rungs on, on, on the ladder. So yeah. you'll, you'll see a lot, lot more from us in the, in the UK. I love that. No, it's great. I, I mean, it's, it, I think one of the reasons I'm a big fan of, of Tony's and what you're doing is it is it is a perfect challenger brand case study a bit like innocent of course back you know 15 20 years ago is you've got a very very clear positioning an incredibly clear positioning that basically reframes the category in your image which which is absolutely brilliant you've got a really really good product that delivers and and you've been obsessed about execution and and i mean execution in terms of packaging execution in terms of promotion execution on shelf everything I can see, you know, the obsession that's gone into gone into that. So I think it's it's a really, really good kind of example, you know, of a challenger brand. Really, it's brilliant. Oh, thanks. <laughs> we definitely don't. We're definitely not getting everything right, and we, we've we've got so far to go. But we're we're definitely learning, and it's honestly, it's it's the best fun. I never thought I'd recapture yeah. that that fun I had at Innocent Drinks in the early stage of my career, I was like, oh, it's just, you know, it's pre-kids, pre-marriage. It's like, you know, the fast pace, the growth, the impact, it's feeling, feeling really positive, but I've got it. And then yeah. some at, at Tony's. I, yeah. I, I honestly, there's, there's I love it. There's a lot of similarities, a lot of similarities between Innocent and Tony's, I think, in terms of, you know, how it's set up, you know, the, the way they've gone about it, which is brilliant. You talk about your ambition to be top five. How does rate of sale compare? Because obviously, you know, is one thing getting distribution. And one of the challenges I face, having done a fair bit of innovation, is you can often get the shelf space because you're new and innovative and different and you're doing something for the category. But it's it, it's a real battle to hold it and grow it often. And, and so how's your rate of sale comparing if you line yourself up against the, you know, the market leaders from Mars and Cadbury? So we, what's great is it continues to grow. We we don't promote often because we want to tell people the story that cheap generally if you've got cheap chocolate is it's bad so we tend to promote a lot less maybe three times a year and we 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 don't do deep cut promos maximum discount we give is about 20 percent our rate of sale in in value rate of sale terms we are the our caramel milk caramel sea salt is the only bar that's non-cabries that's in the top 10 in the malts after two and a half years in our major customers that we've been working with for, for, for the longest so Sainsbury's Waitrose Cardo we are over Christmas last year we had the second fastest selling bar I think in Waitrose we are already the fourth biggest confectionery brand on someone like Ocado so we're, we're, we're up there we're growing we've got some way to go in terms of that unit rate of sale but if you look at our cash rate of sale we're we're already in I'd say in in all of those retailers in at least the top 20, which which is pretty mm. incredible with a fairly low brand awareness. Our brand awareness, the, again, we measure it. We went from nine to 20%. This year is 20%. So, you know, and you're, yeah. you're up against brands in, the, you know, 90, 95%. So yeah. really promising start, you know, but 
more to go but yeah we're really i think starting to to change and disrupt the industry which is which is yeah. good because we have to, we have and what's to your because the other thing in terms of talking about the peas your price position is quite a premium what what is your premium on a on say cabri dairy milk it's well look, we it's a big bar it's 180 grams if you if you look at the price per grams we are more expensive than cabris but we are we are cheaper than green and blacks and lint so we're somewhere we're somewhere in the middle Oh, that's interesting. It's, it's interesting, though, because I think the Dutch are bit, probably a bit more savvy. They tend to shop on the price per gram. UK consumers just go for the I didn't price on that. shelf. Yeah, I, I was exactly. I was just looking at the, wow, three quid to, you know, uh, to buy the. I was like, whoa, deep breath. But you're right. It's a it's a it's a hefty bar compared to Lint, which is sort of as thin as a, you know, an after eight in it, often, isn't it? Exactly. But uh, yeah, I think we are. You know, we are more expensive. We have to be to do the work that we need to do. But, I mean, ultimately, we we all we need to do, all I need to do is I only have to make forty percent gross margin, and we try to make four percent operating profit as a as a business. And yeah, we. But it does it does mean at the moment that we are probably a little bit more expensive than than some of the other brands out there on the shelf. But actually, if you look at the price per gram, it's 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 not crazy. It's, it enables us to give a fair price to those 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 yeah. cocoa farmers. Good, good answer. All right, so listen, um, we talked about brand awareness, only 20%. Big, big job to do in brand awareness. And uh, you may have been helped by your advent calendar. So let's let's talk about the advent calendar, which blew up last week, shall we say. Just just uh, for anyone listening that hasn't followed the news on, on Tony's advent calendar, what happened last week? So we have a, we have a Tony's countdown calendar. And it's the first time we've done it in, well, globally, actually. So it's a new Christmas range for us. And we deliberately took a chocolate out of door eight. Because, again, if you listen to the story, part of our job through through our products is is to drive awareness of the fact that there's inequality in the cocoa industry. So there was no chocolate in day eight. There's two chocolates in day nine. I can tell you, I know no one whispering that. We're well past day nine. What I will say is if you, if you, if you do have a Tony's calendar and you, and you don't want a spoiler alert, then as an extra bonus, there's a further two in day 24. So you're, you're, oh, while you think you're getting 24, you're actually getting 25. 25. Oh, so, so yeah, we, we deliberately took a chocolate out of day eight to highlight the message of the unequal nature of the cocoa industry. So just like our bar. That's what we did. And, and did, did, did your calendar sell out? Because I, I saw your calendar in November, obviously, in, in a walk past a sort of boutique shop, saw a massive pile of them and thought, oh, I'm going to get one of those. And then when I went to try and get one, it is sold out. Uh, was I unlucky or did they sell out? They sold out. We sold 100. Uh, we, the for, we, we forecasted and sold 110,000 and they went, we, I reckon we could have sold 200,000. They created a lot of hype. A lot of people were picking them up. I think I saw kind of like Dua Lipa took hers on on her trip on a plane somewhere, so she took her, her calendar with us. So, <laughs> and that's that's great because it, it, it's it's more people seeing Tonys and, and driving that that awareness. But yeah, it it did. Yeah. As with some of the things we do, prove prove controversial. We got an awful lot of coverage from it. So yeah, day day eight, as you as you say, basically got picked up by 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 the press. Got quite a lot of coverage. And started a massive debate with people saying, "Well, it did. Have they done the right thing? Well, you know, is this the right vehicle? Is this the right place to be doing it?" So, yeah. Have you measured the coverage? I, these things are impossible to measure, I know. But how? I mean, how many complaints did you actually receive from consumers on that day eight last week? Was it last week? Yeah, we we received a thousand emails on that day, and about a hundred phone calls, and the team did a fantastic job. Because I'd say 95% of them, when we explained why we did what we did, were like, I get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we haven't measured the coverage yet. We're, we're going to do a bit of a wash up. Obviously, it's been fairly busy as a result of that. We've got quite a small team, so they've been inundated. Also, we got shut out of our Instagram account on the same time, so we couldn't respond to a lot of stuff. So we're still catching, we're still catching up, but we haven't measured the coverage. But look, I mean, we got... We were the second most read article on the BBC website. I also, someone sent me a link on Sunday night. We It, it was picked up by Have I Got News For You? So the the, ca- the calendar. Oh, well done. The calendar was on there. So That's brilliant. It's, um, honestly, I don't, we didn't expect it to gain the coverage that it did, but 
it has certainly gained coverage. And I think when we come to measure that issue awareness and that brand awareness, it will have done a it would have done a fantastic job. But this is the thing I I can't you can't I can't get my head around the stuff that is newsworthy and what the press picks up because it you know the fact that for the last three years we've been talking about the fact that there's one and a half million kids working illegally on cocoa farms and I know thirty to sixty thousand who are effectively sold and trafficked as slaves. That for me is newsworthy. That doesn't make the news. Yeah. Taking a chocolate out of day eight. Yeah. <laughs> Ruin the kids' Christmas. Come on, think about the kids. Get, gets well, coverage. Well. Well, well fir- firstly, um, congratulations on joining me as an alumni for the Have I Got News For You tragedy uh, crisis, because uh, uh, years and years ago, I think I mentioned this in a previous episode I did, I managed to shut down the London Underground because I, I wafted the smell of almonds because I was working on Di Sereno Amaretto, the liqueur brand. And my stunt at Christmas was to waft the smell of amaretto through the underground while giving out little miniature bottles as people left the underground. So, you know, like in a store, right, you get the bakery smell and you go, oh, that smells so good. I want to go and buy a fresh loaf of bread. That was the idea. I'd spent six months like planning it. And um, anyway, timing is everything, right? Because this is 2002. We're about to go to war with Iraq. And uh, the, the day my campaign went live, the Sun, well, in fact, most newspapers ran a headline. I think the Sun had the biggest headline saying Home Office advice to be vigilant in case of terrorist attack. The number one bit of advice was look, look out for the smell of almonds in the underground because almond smell is what cyanide smells of. Right. And, and everyone was panicking about a, a cyanide attack in the underground at the very moment on the very day. Young gun here, kind of, you know, first marketing job, you know, goes to pump the smell of almonds through the underground. Anyway, so that weekend I was on Have I Got News For You as the leads as the story. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, this well. There you go. Great so, cover. Well done. It, 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 it's, it's career defining. I'm not quite sure in which kind of way, but anyway, <laughs> so, <laughs> it was great. I didn't get fired. So that, 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 that was good. Um, so listen, I ran a poll on LinkedIn because I thought that would be a good thing to do to find out what, well, not what the public think because LinkedIn doesn't represent the public, of course. So I asked everyone, uh, were Tony's right to leave a chocolate out on day eight? 296 votes, which is pretty decent. I gave him three options. Yes, a point well made. No, think about the kids. Tony who? What do you think the results were? Well, 200 of them were my vote, so I said yes. Well, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I would like to think... I, oh, God, you put me on the spot. I'd, I'd, I'd say, um, on balance, people people were in favour of it. Yes, they were. Yes, you're right. So 70% said, yes, point well made, which is good, so resounding majority. 17% said, think about the kids. 12% didn't know Tony's, which isn't bad. They do now, Exactly. Exactly. I thought the two points, because I was firmly in the Tony's camp, I have to say, I thought it was a real stroke of genius. And you've got to weigh up the balances here. A little bit of upset from a kid, you know, who then discovers day nine getting two. There's got to be a price worth paying to shine a light on a very big issue. And the kids in the supply chain that, you know, that, that are suffering and unfairly treated. So my, my point of view was well done for, you know, creating the creating the story in the first place the couple of things i thought were perhaps fair a couple of comments that came up one was that there's a difference between the buyer of the chocolate and the consumer so you know parents like us buying for kids maybe the kids didn't didn't you know wouldn't have understood that which i thought was was a fair point and then maybe the other thing was how how clear was it you know so obviously you responded publicly to it on day nine didn't you and sort of revealed what was happening but how obvious was it on the calendar? It's, now, I couldn't test this because I didn't have a calendar, but was it obvious enough, do you think, that, that the point you were making to anybody? I think there's definitely some learnings there. I think we probably could have communicated that clearer. It, it is written, but it, it, it probably could have been clearer. I, I think the other thing to, to your first point that we maybe hadn't considered is we never target and market at kids. Our products mm. are unhealthy you know, if you eat it, go for a run, try and eat less chocolate. We're in favor of sugar taxes. We're in, you know, on, we'll be in favor of HFSS because ultimately we, we just want people to, to, to make healthy, good choices that don't um, impact people in a bad way at the beginning of the value chain. But we don't target kids. It's a 13 pound calendar. So I think, yeah, we, we, we weren't expecting it to be picked up and given and given to kids but yeah we you know maybe maybe the execution you you do things differently you probably give two on day eight and none on day nine might be a better way of doing it as well so yeah the good learning good learning well it's a tough one that mate because i think you know you, you don't target kids but you must know that kids will eat tony's 
right? Yeah. Because it's a, it's, a, it's 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 a brightly packaged, fun chocolate brand, and, and also you know kids at school are into ethical choices and so on as well. I imagine it's a brand that's I don't know, but well, do you know how many kind of under sixteens consume Tonys or have bought Tonys? No, we don't. We don't. I don't have a don't have a clue. So I mean, our, our demographic tends to be slightly younger families, pre-families, slightly more affluent, but you know ultimately. We need to be hitting the mainstream, but we would never, we never target or aim our products at kids. We don't, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, you're quite right. And, and obviously, encourage uh, a healthy lifestyle and balanced lifestyle, and all that sort of thing is incredibly important. I mean, having kind of worked in soft drinks for many years, including running Lucasade, one of my hardest days in the office. Right. So I was, um, I was CMO of Lucasade Ribena Suntory, and we were facing sugar tax, which is, a, you know, it's a bit like, I guess, the current challenges with, with HFSS, which is high fat sugar salt, which the government is trying to obviously legislate against and reduce consumption of. And um, I got sent on some media training and it was it was it was probably the best uh, learning experience I've ever had in my career. And uh, they invited us all down to these. I think they were former BBC studios. And I remember um I think the brief was arrive at nine, arrive at nine for a nine thirty start, and you come and have a coffee, settle in. We'll give you a briefing pack. We'll show you the, with you know the interview notes and all this sort of thing, and get you ready for for camera. And um, so I walked in at nine o'clock as instructed, and then as I walked in, uh, a producer comes out and goes, "John, we're going to be on camera in ten, nine, eight. And I'm like, "But I thought I had time to prepare." And I realised it was like literally a gotcha moment, and then I got dragged into the the studio you know, cameras, uh, lots of lights, you know, slightly dazzled, couldn't really see anything. And they had a, a BBC, a presenter, actually, I, I think maybe a former one, but, you know, fairly recognisable uh, BBC uh, interviewer, quite a tough one in the sort of Paxman mould. And um, anyway, he sat me down on the sofa and he said, when will you apologise? And I'm like, for what? <laughs> so you, you, you are the LucasAid marketing chief, is that right? And I say, yeah. Uh, you've been making LucasAid for 80 years, is that right? And I said, yeah. And today you announced that you're taking 50% of the sugar out of LucasAid. That is an admission that for 80 years you've been making our children fat. John, I want to hear it now. Apologize to all those obese kids out there, all the parents that are, you know, of, of obese kids and making the nation fat. I want an apology on my show. And it literally went like that. And I'm like, okay. This is a tough one. So I'm doing the right thing and I'm being absolutely scolded for it. And, and, you know, I came out and, of course, you get the debrief afterwards. So how was that for you? And, you know, and it was brilliant. It was a great learning experience. But ha, but so, so I guess, you know, I love the fact that, you know, you're making a positive difference in the supply chain, but you are selling chocolate at the end of the day as well. So how do you respond to someone that puts you on the spot and says, but Ben, you, you, at the end of the day, you're selling chocolate, mate? We are, but we are an impact company that makes chocolate. So the, the problem is there. We're providing a, a, a solution to, to help the people at the beginning of the value chain. We always say chocolate is bad for you. So if but if you're going to eat it, just make an informed and conscious choice. So, um, yeah, we like we know that chocolate is bad for you. We actively encourage the sugar tax. We um, are in favor of something like HFSS. Uh, we just want um, consumers to make an, a more informed decision about the, the, the type of cocoa and the chocolate that they're making, because the, the reason we exist is to is to help the people at the beginning of the value chain. But okay. it's an unhealthy product. You can't get away from that. And we don't. We yeah. we know it's unhealthy, but we will make it as fair and as tasty as possible. Yeah. And that and look, that's consistent with your transparency that you talked about earlier isn't it how that you want to make everything transparent for the you know benefit of everybody so no that's, that's a great great response so um listen ladies and gentlemen if you are considering eating a chocolate then eat tony's and know that you're making a difference to the lives of uh, children in africa and making a bit of a difference to support ben's mission to transform the chocolate supply chain and make it entirely slave free so as you as you look forward to next year you talked about your number five ambition. What, what are your what are your personal and business targets in 2022? I want us to start to get over that one percent share of the UK market. I think is is really important. I think this year we're going to probably go out into full, hopefully national distribution. So you'll see a lot lot more of us. And I think 
it's really important that we continue to 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 make all of the customers that we're working with a big success because ultimately you know that's that's the visibility and the lifeblood for the for, for, for the brand so i mean i want to continue having fun as well i love i love what i do i love the fact that i get out of bed and i'm you know getting getting paid to do what i enjoy what i love but ultimately helping to to change the industry at the beginning of the of the of the value chain that's really important for me and i think as we grow it i know that at the moment i've got a team of maybe 14 15 as we grow it's harder and harder to hold on to that culture and that that kind of vibe and that yeah. that ethos and so just being really really diligent and 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 focused to make sure the people that start at tony's have the best possible start i think it's going to be really crucial to me and those kind of two things then merge together because i want to make sure that if i'm working for the next 20 years and i'm giving i don't know 10 11 whatever hours a day that i'm having fun and and and, and being rewarded and and helping the, the the team that that i work with and the customers to to develop as well so that's yeah i think that's that's why I want to. You hit on a you hit on a very good point there about culture because I'm convinced that culture is the secret to most commercial success, and you can lose it very quickly and easily, particularly when you're growing. So how and you've you've talked very enthusiastically, and I can understand why about the importance of the Tony's culture. You know, a, a bit like how you felt with Innocent all those years ago. What what advice can you give to people to both create the culture but also protect it? What 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 are you going to do? To, to protect that culture as as you have the inevitable challenges of expansion and putting more roles into the team and coping with growth yeah i we i mean at tony's we say we're crazy crazy about chocolate serious about people and the crazy about chocolate is the first thing you know we 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 have to have the best tasting looking chocolate that draws people in but the serious about people bit starts with our team because only by having the best team the most motivated the most fired on do we stand a chance of getting anywhere near that vision of 100% slave-free being the norm in chocolate? So we put a massive amount of focus on our on our team, and I think I would urge anyone to to do that because you're only as good as the people that are representing you uh, and 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 your product basically. And I think the team is 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 so so important. So that purpose, vision, and values being integral massive part of everything that you do as a business it starts at the top right it starts with your your ceo i mean in our case that's our ceo our chief chocolate officer that you know it's leading by example it's that purpose vision and values we recruit versus them we reward versus them we retain if people don't share those those values then they have quite a short stint at tony's we're quite we're quite tough on that because we, you know, Tony's is a big draw for people more and more. People want to come and work here, but we only really want people who, who can help us achieve that mission. And I think getting those things right means that the business flies and then it just creates more momentum. And, you know, I like to think that good things happen to good people and, and, and that positivity continues and continues mm -hmm. and manifests itself in, in more growth and more impact. So, but yeah, we, we, we do, I, I mean, to, Tony's, it, it it is that culture we do have like a winning culture and mentality but at the same time we do reward our people well you know everyone in 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 our business gets a two and a half thousand pound development fund that each and every year they can spend on their personal development to, to get better at something they want to do on their job to to help them proceed and and and, and move forward we we have things like the sports bonus we have a baby bonus we try and make it as, as, as fun and exciting, but at the same time, we want to make sure that we're, we're getting the best people in Tony's as well. And I think you put those things together yeah. and it's quite, it's quite special, but we don't get things yeah. right all the time. And so we're still continuing to develop and learn, but it's slightly easier for me, right? Cause I've got a small, I've got a small team, but that's something that I'm just desperate. I want to hold on to that. I, I have the most engaged and empowered and motivated team. How do I keep that? How do we keep that? that vibe that kind of not it sounds a bit again cliche but that family family feeling that we but we work bloody hard but we have a bit of fun while we're doing it because yeah the world of work can be a boring place no we don't want that and one thing i've learned from talking to you today is it, it is how passionate you are about 
the difference you're making in the supply chain and the tangible difference it makes to you know the lives of people in in east africa and i think that's really powerful and that comes through a lot and i think when you have such a powerful purpose it it it, it just gives you a level of motivation beyond the normal motivation for getting out of bed and turning up at work which which is very tangible so keep that alive i'd say is, is a big part of it it does it does it really does it really does fire you on but then at the same time when you see stuff not moving fast enough you it it can really frustrate you well you need that dissatisfaction but you need that i think you need a healthy level of dissatisfaction and frustration right that that that's part of the motivation if this job was easy and if the, pro- the problem had been solved you wouldn't be here we wouldn't be talking and you wouldn't be doing what you're doing and you wouldn't be upsetting kids on day eight of an advent calendar you know what i mean kids so and adults that, <laughs> yeah exactly there'll be nothing to be upset about right exactly so that, that that i think that's important is is you need to fuel your dissatisfaction that's you know i can't remember there must be so many entrepreneurial stories where they're you know a blatant dissatisfaction with the status quo is what's created the change and you know you talked about the 20 years in which the, the you know this conversation's been going and, and how slow moving it is you need to create the tipping point don't you, you need to create the event that's going to get everyone starting to move and take action and and the more successful you are the more likely that'll be to happen i imagine yeah well one of our values is outspoken and you know that's probably a thing that i think you know a resolution for me as well is just continue to be outspoken and yeah. spot those opportunities to to raise awareness and and challenge and it makes it fun right it does you know yeah. it, it's it's slightly easier for us that you know our business was reversed we've we've started with a problem and built a, a commercial enterprise around it we we don't have that legacy that those big brands do but that gives us flexibility and agility that we can yeah. we can we i mean we can challenge that's what we're gonna we're gonna continue to i'm sure piss a few people off but yeah do it do it i mean i mean weirdly one of the lessons i've learned this year actually has been myself personally is having a healthy level of dissatisfaction can actually be a motivator you know and and, and the importance of bottling that dissatisfaction and using it as a drive to you know to to be better and to challenge yourself so it's good so so keep it up so what what new year's resolutions are you going to take forward then into next year be more outspoken and run more. You know, that's my personal resolution. At being outspoken, I think I'm continuing to work on and I think we'll continue to work on as a as a team and a business to spot those opportunities. But I find that personally I need I need to like get up early, get all yeah. get clear my hair, go for a run and and then that sets me up for, for, for the day. So yeah. creating the time to make sure I do that kind of stuff and making sure I get a good night's sleep as well just bring, seems to bring me more energy and I think it's it's easy to forget that stuff as well it is so true and it's funny I, I find exactly the same challenge but like running for me cycling good night's sleep those things are the, the the basics that enable you to have energy and clear thinking and you know the ability to be productive and and, and make a big difference so uh, yeah they're, they're super important as well as staying healthy of course you know yeah. i mean i think we're both of a similar age but it becomes more important i think the older you get to keep the body in in good shape and that's healthy body healthy mind yeah more running less wine <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i haven't given up the wine yet that's that's still on the to-do well, list Jan- january's around the I'm corner to, so yeah january's not far away there's, there's <laughs> it's a sobering thought for you indeed well listen it seems like a, a perfect place to end new year's resolution so we're recording this just before christmas of course on you know after the advent excitement created by tony's and their countdown calendar as you call it listen ben thank you so much thank you for your honesty and and and, and inspiring us all with the tony story and what you've been up to it's been a, a, a real blast so thank you very much cheers thanks ever so much for having me on Thank you, everybody, for listening to the latest edition of the Uncensored CMO. If you'd like to catch up on more episodes like this one, the best thing you can do is hit the subscribe button. So go to Apple Podcasts, click on subscribe and never miss an episode again. If you'd like to follow me, you can do so. I'm on Twitter at Uncensored CMO. You'll also find me on LinkedIn as John Evans. um, And I'd love to uh, make contact with you. And if you've got any suggestions for future episodes, please do let me know. I'd love to hear them. And if you'd like to leave a review for the podcast, remembering that five star is best, as you know from System One, uh, please do go to Apple iTunes and leave me a nice review. That would be wonderful and much appreciated. As always, I really appreciate you listening and look forward to you joining me again. Thank you very much.